Hello and welcome to the Eighth Note Sessions. I'm Mike Shamil. And I'm Devin Mullen. And our guest today is Ian McEwen. Ian, how you doing today? I'm all right. Doing all right. Now, Ian describes himself as a purveyor of sorrow. He's got a few bedroom DIY folk albums, and uh, we decided to bring him on the show to talk about that and some other more philosophy zone and esoteric level stuff. Uh, Ian, so you've been doing your most of your work out of your home. Do you ever feel the need to go in a studio, or do you prefer the sort of... Um, enclosed environment and space that your bedroom provides i think for now what i'm what i'm doing uh it definitely calls for the isolating nature of of kind of doing it in my room i think it lends to the music and the material um i do i mean i, I went to school actually for audio audio engineering um so i i do love being in the studio and and recording in the studio i'd, I'd like to eventually uh, in future projects, probably expand to that. But I think for now, it's it's very much the realm that I'm comfortable with, and I think that uh, that uh, kind of breeds what what it is. It's almost like another instrument, I suppose. In in my music, is the fact that it's 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 my room, and it's just me in the room with the instruments and the gear, and uh, and that's you know that's kind of part of the whole the whole vibe. And speaking of vibe, you have like this very whispery kind of like Woody Guthrie meets like Phoebe Bridgers kind of a sound and style. Um, where did that come from? Oh, um, I don't know. I guess I, I never used to. I, I mean, the first time I've ever I've always sung, but uh, in previous bands, I was always like a backup like harmony vocal type singer so i guess this was really when i went went solo uh was really kind of like discovering my my lead voice for the first time and um yeah i think it, in part it's an intentional choice just again to lend to the the nature of the songs and the, and the subject matter and the material to kind of be this very delicate and uh whispery uh, vocal register but additionally I think it's it's also comes from a place of almost like apprehension towards the fact that I'm the lead the lead person now so it's like uh, I don't really want to <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not going like, to go David Lee Roth yeah, and be no, all up in your face I'm not ready to you know project it fully yet I guess so uh, yeah I think it's it's it was both a conscious choice and also kind of just what happened <laughs> when I started singing that's a an interesting uh, little little tidbit though that yeah. you just shared the you know kind of unwillingness but also the you know intent behind displaying that unwillingness mm -hmm. by not going with the typical in your face kind of lead vocals yeah. very yeah. fascinating and I I'd say there's a, a great unity of effect and in, in your artistic process and so far as you're you know kind of hanging out in your bedroom and also in in the the sort of trilogy you made. And songs of fleeting permanence. Mm. I mean, this delves pretty heavily into issues of mental health, of yep. isolation, and and all that. And uh, he he hears Woody Guthrie and Phoebe Bridgers. I definitely heard a lot of Elliot Smith in your writing. Um, what what is sort of the the, the fundamental nature of of sorrow that is such such a creative propellant? for you 
Um, well, I think that, uh, I mean, to use the word sorrow is, it's, it's a very um, prevalent uh, presence, I guess, in, I think in, in my own personal life, but in, I think, life in general, and, and a lot of times, maybe isn't necessarily a realm that a lot of songwriters will, will go in, and I kind of wanted to just uh, really plunge to the depths of that and and see what that that means in in context of of my own uh, you know mental health and my own state and uh. I mean certainly a lot of songwriters do explore sorrow though I mean that that's the blues but I sure, I, oh, I, sure, I, yeah. I, I think in our, our pre-interview conversation yeah. we talked about not wanting to sort of get into more poppy mm -hmm. positive escapism this might be a more like cynical grounded sure kind yeah. Of escapism yeah like purging of emotion yeah honestly purging is a good way to put it because it's uh you know nothing you know there's plenty of pop escapism that that i love but uh you know it, you mentioned elliot smith and he's a major influence on my work and i think he you more, hit the nail on the head there yeah <laughs> more so than than uh, what I contend more so than any any songwriter that I can think of has uh, you know touched on that undercurrent of of human nature and um, I wanted to go in that direction um, and avoid the, the the pop escapism um, and kind of really just uh, uh, you know turn, shed a light on and expose this very oft like shied away from uh, material and realm of of sorrow i mean even even in this year of 2021 uh, issues of, of depression and anxiety can be very stigmatized to talk mm -hmm. about definitely there there's beauty in having resonance with an artist like elliot smith but there's also pain mm -hmm. Do you ever feel that engaging in a creative mode that, that is informed by one's own suffering, that there's a balance to strike where you're not reveling too much in the suffering or, or turning to it as a creative motivation too much? Definitely. How, how do you keep out of that? Um, I don't really know, but it, <laughs> it, is, de it is definitely a line that I'm cognizant of. And, uh, you know... Because you don't, I, I really do try and make sure, I don't know how well I accomplish it, but I try and make sure that I don't like completely go the other end and it's almost like a glorification of uh, whatever the issue is. Um, which again, I take you know a lot of my cues from Elliot Smith because I th think he was a master at that and he, you know, you know was very, very heavy and uh, uh, depressing material that he dealt with and he did it so in such a succinct and relatable way and but but it was never to the point where it was like oh man I need to turn this I mean maybe if you listen to it for like hours on end for days and weeks but uh, you know it's it, I find it comforting you know to be like oh shit that's real real heavy but but also I can relate to that, and it makes me feel less alone. Well, it's, it's, it's comforting to, to hear that sort of thing. If you feel that sort of thing, it's to be seen. Yeah. And sometimes being seen will save you, mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, <laughs> so, 
this this trilogy of albums that you wrote was set from 18 to 24, mm -hmm. which is a, a very exciting but also really, really difficult uh, time in someone's life. Yeah. You've... You said you've recorded several albums over the pandemic. I, we didn't get three. a three. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, was it written through this sort of self-examining lens, uh, or given how much from the outside is sort of bleeding over into the songwriting process, whether it's the pandemic or the uh, the the Capitol riots or the George mm. Floyd protests or you know this that and the other. What's motivating you and and sort of catching your eye now in the writing process? Well, actually, the uh, the records that I recorded last year, the, the material was actually written well before the pandemic. So it was it was more so that the pandemic afforded me the time to actually sit down and record it. But it's the the material predates the pandemic um, by at least a few years. Um, the, the, one of the three records I recorded last though is that last year though is the um, that this machine kills fascists which is the protest song covers album that was partially I, I mean I had always had the idea to do something like that but like that was in part uh, definitely inspired by everything that was going on last year and um, you know it kind of taking into context the moment of th this very uh, like kind of like era of like social conscious of of everyone's kind of in their homes because of the pandemic and and kind of really having to sit with these things and and then the, all the protests last summer and uh, people kind of really had to I think because there was nothing else to do and we were all locked in our homes it was it, it became a mo a big moment of I think reflection and a lot of people really sat with a lot of this stuff maybe maybe for the first time or maybe it was the first time they thought of it in depth but kind of just wanted to to um to touch on that um so the the, the the artist as social critic mm -hmm. that necessarily has to look to society and have that pervasive sense that something's not quite right and we have to elect what thing we look at in particular so what what are some of the objects of your critique as an artist at this time? Um, well, I've, what I, it's a, maybe a under the surface thing on Songs of Fleeting Permanence, but there was a bit of a, an eye turned towards critiquing the society within which we live that, that even creates the context of what a lot of people's maybe depression or anxiety might stem from like yes overall I'm, I'm mostly talking about my own personal inner feelings um, which would be happening anyways because that's the nature of mental illness but but then the fact that it can be can actually be heightened and and worsened and uh, uh, in the perverse way maybe universal even. yeah yeah thanks to the conditions that we that we currently live in and um, and then also moving forward with with later material that I'll be releasing is kind of going more in an explicit direction with that stuff and and kind of looking at it uh, head on that kind of the the outer uh, influence of you know where where we all are 
in in uh, society and what what leads to these moments of of desolation and uh, you know personal uh, I guess destitution. I mean, I've uh, to, to put it in my own poetic way, I heard sort of a a future of robbed promise. Mm. And then I, I think that's certainly a, a, a resonant feeling for a lot of people our age. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Well, sure. I mean, we grow up and, you know, we've been taught that, okay, this is how life is going to be. There's a certain framework and formula you mm-hmm. must follow. And if you don't follow, bad things are going to happen. Right. And all this pressure to, like, fit within these constraints is overwhelming because they're such ridiculous constraints and then you get to adulthood and then you see what things are really like and you realize man i was fed like a ton of bullshit (laughs) oh yeah i mean that's exactly it is you know and that's kind of the direction that that i'm going in with the this next record is 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 those constraints that we're we're all supposed to fit under and that it's actually your fault if you didn't if you don't follow along, oh, well. Shame. Yeah, you blew it. You're personally responsible for your own suffering kind of thing. And and that's just not, at least in my belief, the, the case. And that's um, kind of what uh, this next record is going to be about is, 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 is talking about how it's, it's not our fault as individuals, but rather a concocted, world um more more systemic yeah absolutely it's systemic issues that we're all dealing with but we've been led to believe that it's that it's personal failure that has brought us any kind of suffering or oppression yeah that whole you know veil of well you're just not good enough Mm -hmm. you know that that lie (laughs) yeah yeah i mean uh i I know something that really stuck out to me was uh anecdotes of people having the go back to the office after you know being able to actually enjoy working for once from home and just the the absolute heartbreak you know i'm very curious if uh if we'll ever bounce back to quote-unquote normal but uh, a major part of me hopes we we don't i'd rather definitely you know we we have something new in the works um so walking in in the footsteps of of artists who you draw clear inspiration from while also having a, a strong sense to to be seen, to be yourself. How is that challenge approached for you? It's, uh, yeah, it's difficult because I never want to go too far in one direction where it's basically I'm like a, you know, I might as well just be a, a cover artist of, of Elliot Smith or wh- whoever it is. and And so trying to find you know, very much going in his footsteps, but also finding my own voice within that is definitely a thing that I, is very present in my mind when, when I'm writing. Because like I said before, I take so many cues from from him and what he does, but I want that to be a thing that is enveloped in my work and, and just becomes one piece of, uh, amongst many other pieces that come together to form my my musicianship and my my songwriting and uh ultimately your story exactly yeah yeah beautiful it's important to find that that part of your your art that really shows um the messages and the ideas that you know 
that you have from your perspective, your unique perspective, and find a way to bring that forward. I had some curiosity. I noticed that as I listened to your recordings from your first you know, album mm-hmm. um, all the way up to your most recent release, uh, the cover album, I noticed that you were starting to do a little bit more with um, electric versions of tracks. Like you had on your cover album, you had released a song that was your traditional style, that bedroom folk kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of decided to start taking that song and giving it a different kind of spin. And I found that really fascinating. Is the next album going to be a little bit more along those lines? Is it going to show um, some more, how should I put this, heavy and heightened sounds coming from the instrumentation and and less of a lower fi acoustic kind of thing, but really bring the electric instruments out more? Definitely, yeah. Uh, the the vibe and the instrumentation of of songs of fleeting permanence was very much a conscious choice um to keep it very much in the realm of lo-fi homespun kind of thing and you know with these next records i definitely still has that air of of lo-fi and homespun because that's what they are you know yeah. made in my bedroom <laughs> but uh or something exactly but yeah it's it's definitely uh I wanted to expand on the sonic palette a, a lot more, and there is definitely more moments of heavier instrumentation, layered instrumentation, um, a lot more things going on, bringing out the electric instruments much more than the acoustic ones, and uh, kind of finding that that balance through there, but but also having some moments where you know maybe the electric. Uh, instruments outshine the acoustic ones, and uh, and actually the two of the two records, they one is very much a combination of, of of all those sounds and like an expansion of all those sounds, but the second one is actually predominantly electric. So, kind of wanted to explore that a lot too. Yeah, yeah. Always looking to um, keep evolving my sound, and and I hope my intent is to as my career progresses hopefully is uh with each record um explore a new type of sonic palette and introduce introduce new sounds so i think it would be perhaps unfair to be couching you as this singular entity completely in a vacuum untouched and this is his genre and this (laughs) is where he stays in that groove Something we talk a lot about is is the the multitude of music scenes in the city of Buffalo. Um, so I'm I'm just curious, uh, associated acts that you you play with or uh, just personally admire uh, locally. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of artists that I've played with over the years uh, that I love, and you know, too many to probably list off the top of my head. But you know, I've I've played a bunch with uh, Stress Dolls, Chelsea. Uh, I love what she's doing. Um, I'm also a big fan of Tough Old Bird, who I have a show with on Saturday. They, I love their sound. It's very classic Americana. I think they hit the nail on the head with that. Um, I'm a big fan of Timothy Ellis and what he's doing. He's uh, he's a very unique voice and, and a uh, keen songwriting style. Um, you know, I've I've played in 
a lot of different, like touched on different scenes, so to speak, because uh, there's no, I guess, one particular pocket where I fit. Um, but it's... Well, right, not not benign enough for a coffee house, yeah. not quite heavy enough for a dive bar. It's exactly it's a weird media yeah. position. Yeah, yeah so yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a weird place to be in. So, you know, kind of trying to find that 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 niche between between exactly coffee house and dive bar kind of thing, which I guess is maybe a good description a of dive the music. Cafe? Yeah, you find like yeah. pill bottles on the couch yeah. or something. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, hmm, might have to. I might have to try and open some <laughs> new business venture. <laughs> now I just need the investors. Yeah. <laughs> we put the bar on barista. All right. Um, We're only serving PBR coffee. This yeah. way we, we satisfy both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think, my friend, we are we are just about at time. I got one more question. Do you got one more question? Go ahead and shoot yours, and I'll throw mine right in after. Beautiful. So the reason why I asked you on this show is uh, I've seen you play twice at this point. They actually mixed sound to one of your shows yeah. back in the Tabernacle. Yeah, that's right. Made it through that. <laughs> um, and I I found a lot of personal resonance in how you create and, and what the subject matter is. Um, I I make music in my bedroom, and I, it's, it's very different from what you do, but it has the same kind of sure. seed yeah. to it. Um, there are so many uh, young men who are artists who struggle with what I will generically call illnesses of invisibility, who have a creative voice but maybe don't necessarily have the visibility. Sure. That, that kind of validation and affirmation of what they're doing. Do you have any potential words of encouragement or just something that you want for, for anyone who may be where you were mm. when you were writing Songs of Fleeting sure. Permanence. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest thing that anybody really in those positions needs is just to know that, you know, it. not just that you're not alone, um, but that, you know, there's... It's also acceptable to be in that realm because I think so much of American society is about kind of what we touched on before is, is bettering yourself despite not having the tools to be able to do it and then getting blamed for not succeeding at it. And I think the recognition that that it's it's acceptable to be you know str struggling because we all are in in the face of you know what we have going on in society but additionally for people who are struggling with mental illness and especially like you said men because i think there's very much that stigma stigma there that is rooted very much in in patriarchy that um you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to feel that you're not allowed to go to those places and so I guess it's just, I mean, it's a very basic thing to say, and it's not really like necessarily a helpful answer, but like just knowing that like, no, you, you are allowed to do that. Like, and, and you should, I think there's value in, 
in exploring those spaces and and recognizing those feelings and emotions that that occur <laughs>now where do you find if you're talking to a, a younger musician mm -hmm. where would you recommend they reach out for support on those matters where where would you want to tell your younger self you know to look for help with these things well um i mean a lot of it can be found in in just the, the sense of in particular music uh industry that just the sense of community because it is I mean, like anything in any industry, music can be a very grueling and isolating thing uh, to do. So just kind of building that community and, and, and relying on, on, on fellow artists to be there, but also at the same time knowing that like you, you don't owe them anything and they don't owe you anything and, and, and not allowing yourself to, I guess, be taken advantage of because um, I think people can be easily pushed in certain directions if you know you're trying to navigate an industry like the music industry and uh, a lot of sharks in the water yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely so just knowing um, where to find you know that sense of community but also not completely relying on every every hand that's going to stick you know they're going to be stuck in the pot kind of being like oh, here you go but uh yeah that's some good advice well we appreciate you spending some time with us today we appreciate the folks at home for watching this and with that this has been the eighth note sessions i'm mike shamil and i'm Devin mullen and our guest today was ian McEwen. ian thank you so much thanks for having me guys here's an excerpt from the song 23 feels the same as 19 by ian McEwen. This is off his Songs of Fleeting Permanence Volume 1 album. You can find this music and other songs of his at ianmcewen.com. That's I-A-N-M-C-C-U-E-N.com. I don't want to leave this bed. There's nothing for me outside of these four walls. I don't want to lift my head. The Eighth Note Sessions are produced by Music is Art. Help keep programs like this going by donating today at musicisart.org. Thank you for listening.